show. Welcome to the Automation Impact Podcast. My name is Edward Shlepetsky. I'm CEO of Active Automation Company and UiPath Most Valuable Professional. This is the first season of episodes in which, together with other UiPath MVPs and RPA experts, we will be covering best practices in end-to-end RPA implementation from center of excellence enablement up to successful scaling. So I would highly recommend project champions and other managers who are currently building center of excellence to stay tuned. To learn more about the podcast, visit us on automationimpact.io and don't forget to subscribe. Current episode is the second part of our discussion with Radomir Ivankovic on RPA development best practices. On our webpage you already can find the first episode as well as article related to that and previous episodes. Go check it out. If you are to describe development procedure from end to end, I am curious where does it start and where it ends in, in your company. For If we take for, for now Olex, how does the development procedure look like end to end? So first, uh, you take a good look in the process and see uh, is it doable or not? Is it actually material for, for RP or not? That, that's part of the business analyst. So you need to raise awareness of your company. You need to tell everybody, okay, this is RPA, this is what we do, this is how we can help you. That's a very important part. And uh, then uh, you need to determine it, what is what is your transaction item? That's very important. You need to say, okay, this is my transaction item and this is what I'm going to be used in my process. That can be either in in single process, either this performer, but I see many developers are struggling with what is actually transaction item. Uh, When we were hiring people in my company, uh, I use Hackathon to to see how they will approach that process. Will they use free framework? Will they use it in process? Will they use uh, their own workflow with their error handling? What's going to be the approach? And I saw Somebody used ReFramework, but if whoever did RPA Challenge knows that in RPA Challenge you have a list of 10 people and then you process one by one. So that list, each row should be one transaction item. And I then somebody told me, yeah, but I have just one file and that was my transaction item. And that's wrong. No, that was not your transaction item. Because if some, something's wrong with that customer, you just skip it, you go to next customer. So that's very important to determine it. What is your transaction item? When you have that, then you start building. When you're building, you build component by component. So you have login, navigating to, etc. Slice it as much as possible, and that will make your code stable. And also you can test each of those workflows independently. You need to create folders inside of your code for each process. So you can you can split them. Because later you can you maybe can reuse those things. If you create login to SAP, you create it once. Why would you create it every time? Um, make sure to document all assets because I saw that many people lose their assets. They put everything in assets and then they lose it. And um, try to make sure that every part of the process works independently, as I said. Because if it works independently, then you can reuse it later and your process will be more stable. And you need to know about your integration. I also saw that some companies uses JSON file for configuration file. And 
that's that might be good, but I don't see any good good point of it because we are trying to educate our citizen developers, our RPA champions. And those people, those are business people. They don't know what is JSON code. When they see those letters, they don't know what they're dealing with. So that's very important. So to have it end-to-end, any champion needs to understand it. So if I build a process and then I leave my company, but RPA champion is the one in finance, he should be able to open my code and to understand what I did there. And that's how it should look like. Yeah. Got it. This is the interesting point of view. And one of the things you have mentioned was this uh, single component build as well as slicing it into pieces. So can we dive in a little bit deeper into this topic? It is also called reusability, right? So you cut, uh, you aim to reuse uh, components and not build them again and again. And I'm curious, why? what are the main principles actually you have followed to, to how do you slice those components? How do you know what is the reusable, what is not, how, who is identifying it, etc.? Well, that comes from experience of the, of the developer the most, but um, whatever can work independently. So if you log into system, that can be one component. If you navigate to and then take some data, that can be second component. So that's very important. Uh, whatever you see that can be used for some other process, that's reusable. And of course, since you slice it before, you can then just copy it somewhere and then reuse it. Uh, as I said, in BSF, we had shared drive and we put everything on shared drive and then you just invoke it from that shared drive. In Oleg, that's not possible because we have everything on Amazon. So how we work now is that we have on each machine one shared folder that's copied every minute from our S3 bucket. And when you create something that's reusable, you put it to that S3 bucket and then it's copied to our uh, PCs, the robot PCs, and then both can reuse it. Got it. And why why do you consider it as important? Okay, so why... Uh, okay, I understand that I can kind of plug it in, but what is the main importance? Like, what are the use cases when you see the great advantage of this reusability principle? Oh. Okay, so let, let's say that you need to, to go to some process to Salesforce, take some data, and then you need to log into, I don't know, SAP and paste the data there. So we need to create, uh, logging in, you need to create to, to Salesforce, logging into SAP. If you have reusable stuff, you can just drag and drop them and you have it, it's done. So it will speed up your process. And you know it's good that, that it works fine because you did it in some other processes. One very important thing to know is that I mostly use reusable component for closing my tools. So before you start any process, you need to start fresh. That's what I retaught in RPA Academy. And to start fresh, you need to close all processes, SAP, Excel, Chrome, Explorer, whatever you have, you need to close all that to start fresh. And then how do you close it? it you, yes, you have close application and kill, but that's not always most reliable. You know that when you go to task manager, you will see like bunch of Chrome opened. So you need to make sure that you close all Chromes. We are using Google Chrome for automation in my company. So I created one reusable component that will close, close Chrome and then check all processes. Is there any process that has Chrome? If there is, close it again and then check that three times and then go and check, is there, again, a code there? If there is Chrome, then kill it. Uh, 
and and then when you're sure that there is no more process with the name Chrome, you can continue. And this is this is not complicated, but it will it will take time. It will take like half an hour to build that part. So that's why I create a reusable component where you can just change the name of the uh, application you want to close or kill. You copy this three times, you change the name, and in a matter of two minutes, you can close all your applications very fast. And for each of them, you would need like half an hour to build. That's one and a half hour saved in time. So everything's about the time. Yeah. And another important thing to hear to highlight is um, maybe every time you would build it again and again, you can spend this time better on improving your reusable components. So all these things you say about okay, exactly. closing Chrome one, second time and third time, I'm sure that this component was not designed like that on the very beginning. On the very beginning, you say, okay, I close the Chrome, done. Yeah. But then afterwards, you realize, okay, it doesn't work in certain situations. So you add one more condition, then one more condition, etc. So you kind of grow the quality also of your code when you invest time rather than building the same component again and again you check what else can be improved and you improve it in the component this is one thing which i have from from my experience and another one what is also quite important and it has nothing to do with build actually but Quite often with the business, we take uh, and, and we discuss the topic of maintenance and we discuss the topic of, okay, RPA is UI based quite often. And especially if you don't have an access to database, if you don't have an access to API, what if this button change? What if that button change? What if here and there the layout is changing and then you need to rebuild all your boats? That's right. But this is right only if you have a bad standards, because if you follow the right standards, you would not need to rebuild any of, of the bots. You just take one single puzzle, which is interacting with the screen, and you have, uh, hopefully you have just one of it. You don't have many of those if you are following right reusability principles. And then it is enough just to change this one component, which would be affected in all the robots. So... I would like to highlight that the, the reusability is one of the core principles which we are also following and not just to save the time for development, what is obvious, but also to ensure that we would have quick and responsive maintenance whenever something is happening, we can we can actually solve it in, in a question of minutes. So this is another important aspect which we need also highlight when it comes to reusability. Before we go to the next topic, anything else you would like to add in, in, in this chapter? Yeah, I have perfect example from for you what you just described. Uh, we have we are using Okta to log into all of our systems. And uh, so I, because of my experience, I created a reusable component to log into Okta. It just, I build it like that. It, if I did not have my script extenders before and know it before, I would just build it in bot itself. But since I knew, okay, for using each, any process, I need to log into Okta, I will make it as a reusable component. So I build it. Opening web browser, going to Okta web page, Type in username, type in password, click login, you're there. That's how I built it. And we had several processes in production. Out of the bloom, Okta changed login way. Now you have username, click next, then you have password, then click verify. And that break all of the bots. All of the bots were broken because login way changed. Okta is third party and we have no control of what they are doing. So this needed to be 
fixed fast because this is a reusable component. I just changed it in one place. I just went to our reusable components. I opened it up. I changed the selectors. I changed everything. I published it and all bots were back online in a matter of half an hour. And that's very important what you just mentioned, to have it reusable and then you can fix it just one part of the puzzle and everything works. And from the second point of view, if we are building usable components and you and I work in the same company, I build something, you reuse it because that's what it is for. And you open it and see, okay, but Radomir, you could do this better. And then you go to me and you tell me, okay, you could do this better. That's knowledge sharing. That's what this community about. Yeah. And I said, yeah. And we build on, on, on top of each other because we are sharing components, we are sharing our code, and then you grow your knowledge. That's very important. Yeah, and what is cool about this is that you not just improve your code and then in your in your code it is working better than in mine, but you actually improve the same component. So all the robots which are using this component would automatically improve regardless if it is my know-how, your how, etc. So this is this this point actually I never I never look at this like that. Um, okay, and talking of components, where do you store them? Do you use some repository or you mentioned that you are, as of now you are not uh, heavily dependent on the, on the Windows, uh, like uh, shared drives, etc. So where do you store all your reusable components? Yeah, well, as I said, we, we because we use Amazon, we have S3 bucket and we copy everything to S3 bucket and then every minute S3 bucket is doing a cron job to all of machines, all of the bot machines and synchronizing it. Okay, so do I understand correct that you have just one single folder with all the reusable components and all your robots are talking to this folder to, to read it? So you don't save the reusable components also in a robot root folder. Is it correct? Yes. All yes. right. So in a, in, a, in a BSF, as I said, we, you have a Windows shared drive and you can store everything there and just invoke, you find the path to that drive and you just invoke it. But in OLX, because we don't have Windows shared drives, uh, we have S3 bucket. S3 bucket is copying everything f from S3 bucket to RC, whatever, robot shared folder. And each of both has that folder with the same content as S3 bucket. That's how we use it. Okay. And when you want to invoke something, you just invoke it from that folder and you're good. And you were mentioning before uh, the importance of UAT and the importance of the test system, etc. But whenever you change something in whatever it is in in single robot, you need to do the regression testing. How it is with reusable components? Whenever you change this reusable component, don't you need to retest all the robots? Because it is quite often this is also a concern for many companies doing it one or the other way. So how do you deal with this one? Do you do any regression testing after you modify the single package? Yes, of course. Of course, you need to monitor all of the bots, what's going on, if anything went wrong, what happened there. So usually if you have a system uh, that, that works, that talks to all your, your robots, you just see on one robot, is it working or not, and you're good. But yeah, you always have monitoring. We have a Kibana for monitoring, yeah. and you can do some monitoring with Google Sheets. So you need to monitor everything all the time. Got it. Good. And talking of, uh, talking of repository, so is the, the, the way you store those reusable components, is there any uh, history, is there like check-in possibility, etc.? How you ensure that, for example, if someone by coincidence removes this code, do you store it on some servers? Yes, we, we are storing our codes in Artifactory right now, uh, but we are 
we want to switch to Git. Mm-hmm. Now, there is one problem that was with UiPath. I don't know, again, is it fixed? I didn't check, but uh, UiPath could talk with your Git repository only with master. You cannot make it to talk to if you can create a, a, more uh, branches inside your, for your Git. So you have like a master, you have, uh, I don't know, development UAT. Now I want to build build, build my uh, code in development and publish it to development. It was not possible with Google activities, uh, sorry, with UiPath activities to uh, talk with Git branch dev. That That's very difficult to set up. And I succeeded once, but then I cannot uh, pull that code to some other machine. I can, uh, my machine can talk with that that branch with dev branch, but I cannot give it to you and tell you, okay, just pull code from Git from dev branch and you'll be good. That's not possible. Okay. So we are still we're using it, uh, Artifactory to publish it, mm-hmm. and but we are looking into Git to have it all on Git. Got it. Actually, there I, I don't have much experience with Git. We are using TFS uh, for these purposes. Uh, quite I believe it's quite similar functionality, but we never had uh, never had those issues. But also the correlated question is so as of now, what I understand that you don't have UiPath directly checking in your code. You do you develop your code and then check in is another part which you execute manually. So you don't have direct integration for now to no. directly check it in in, in Git. No, no, no. Right now, no. All right. And the next topic I wanted to discuss with you also, like now, as, as, as you may realize that we are getting in more technical and more, more spicy discussion around the development standards, yeah. I wanted to discuss with you, and probably in a few words, we don't need to go deep into this because, again, it is subjective and, and there is no right or wrong. This is also a kind of category where you need to have it and then there are some best practices to follow, but it can also deviate. It is a naming convention. So, And since we don't speak here about the best practices, I'm more curious about your experience. How do you do it nowadays? What's what's the naming convention in OLX? So we are doing naming conventions that are, in as, as in all, all developer uh, development, uh, with a small... Uh, change on a string. We don't name string as str and the name of the string. You just put the name there. Uh, also, if you have a string that has name with, with uh, two words, you you divide it with uh, uppercase letter and that's it. But if you have integer, then you will type int, I don't know, counter branch or I don't know, where counter c would be uppercase and b will be also uppercase. That's that's very important, what I think. Okay, just for our listeners, what Radomir is speaking about is called, first of all, uh, separating words with the capital letter is called camel case, and you can Google that and easily easily find it. And another one, we're mentioning the types of the variables, uh, like string, integer, double, etc., is called Hungarian naming convention. So you can find it directly on, on Wikipedia or, or on Google, and just to simplify the work and not dis- describe it now in all these letters and etc just if you go and google hungarian naming convention you will find what radomir is speaking about and one last thing is um what about uh, arguments so about arguments uh, uh, i am very eager to to name them in and out and in out uh because i think it's important if, if you don't name it that way, then 
because when you are invoking several workflows and you're going through code, you might be lost inside and you won't know until where your your string came, your your value came, and then you can pull some empty string and and your bot will fail. So I think that's very important. Some uh, teams use it, some don't. I think it's important to know that, okay, my, my value is coming in here, but it does not come out. Okay, so this is what I need to fix. And also regarding naming convention, um, people, when they just start with RPA, uh, they have a habit of naming uh, personal names to the robots. They will name it like, I don't know, Jack, Joan, Hugo, etc. And that's that's good, that's cute. But when you have more than 10 robots and somebody new joins the company, then that new guy or somebody you need to present would not know who is Hugo, who is Jack, what they're doing, etc. So I always tell you need to have naming convention for the processes. If this process is done in Latin America, then you have LATM, as Latin America, then dash, finance, dash, O2C as order to cash or, or whatever you have. And then you can put that personal name of the bot. That's also very important because later when you have a lot of processes, you will know which process is working and where is it working. And if something goes wrong, who to call. Do you also have some central place when everyone in the company can see what robots are already developed in the company to get inspired? Because quite often, and especially, I think that our in our private discussion, you were mentioning that OLX is kind of decentralized company, if I may call it this way. In terms of process organization, I assume that you have a similar processes in different countries, etc. Can people in Poland see what is built in Germany and vice versa? How, how does it work for you? So, yes, that's true. Um, OLX Group is a groupation under groupation. So we as OLX Group, we are owner of OLX Poland, OLX uh, Portugal, Avito in Russia, Dubizl in Dubai. Uh, but also we are part of NASPERS Group. And there are a lot of tools and uh, a lot of processes. Uh, we in company, we have a workplace. That's uh, Facebook for companies. And there we shared videos, what we've done, uh, pictures, etc. So if you go on RPA page, you can see what actually we do and how we are doing it, etc. Yeah, got it. Got it. Great. And then we are moving to the next topic. And I wanted to speak a little bit about the configuration of the robot, meaning that uh, you have mentioned already config file. And this is just to describe for our listeners, especially uh, for those in the very beginning of a coding journey, config file is, in my understanding, something where you store robot-related information, which is technical. So all the you you try to map there all the paths, etc. So for a config, what I understood already that you store it in a Google spreadsheet in 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 most of the in yeah in Google spreadsheet in a Google Drive in most of the cases, but there are also things which are not technical, not robot related, but more process related. And if we take SAP as a simple sample, it is um, connection between the organization, distribution channel, and, and, and etc. Or for example, if you have a country, under country, you have this number of sales organizations, this number of distribution channels, uh, divisions, etc. Um, 
in my experience we use the separate tables for it we don't we definitely don't keep it for in in config but i'm curious to to see how you handle this so as i mentioned we we have uh we have g suite in our company and we can create as much as g drives as we want so we have uh, two g drives for this one is for production where developers have no access and one is for UAT and, de and development. And there under development G drive, you have a folder for each of your process. And inside the future process, you have files that you want to use in that process. For example, if you have some, I don't know, XMLs, you can store there in, in a uh, Google Docs, you can store that XML and then later reuse it in your code. And if you need to change something in that XML, you just change it there. Uh, we are also storing their config files or some other Google sheet, sheet files that you need, need to reuse later. We store everything in that folder for that robot specific. And is there something what is shared between multiple robots? Like what you describe is something what you have for each and every robot individually. You have like drive created there and inside the drive you place the tables which the robot is later using. Is there anything what you share between multiple robots? What it What is it and where you store it? I may guess the answer to the second one, meaning that I, I may assume that you still uh, store it in Drive, but what are those files? Uh, we call it, in our, in my experience, just to give you uh, give you the background, we call them maintenance tables. Sometimes it is also called mapping tables. And those are the files when we do all this general mapping, which can be actually utilized by multiple processes. Like again, the, the uh, dependency between sales organization, distribution channel and division is something what doesn't change from process to process you have like list of countries list of sales organizations and all the divisions which belongs to it so how do you have something like that and if so what it is so we we don't have something like that actually uh, but i was thinking about it for for some process and uh, we will store it on that g drive also uh, but just not in any specific folder just outside in the root of that file and also we are very careful with our assets. So if some some value will be reused by multiple bots and multiple processes, we just store it in asset. Okay, got it, got it. So here, just as a spoiler for one of the next episodes, we will have also more infrastructure discussions and security discussions where one of the good samples of the usage of maintenance table was for SAP login, where we with Radomir were already discussing a little bit the licensing topic and how actually how you manage the users to ensure that also every robot has an access to execute every process. And with Radomir, I would share it probably right after this episode and with you guys just stay tuned and you will learn uh, the authorization management in the next episodes actually maintenance tables are quite heavily involved also there all right good and we are we mentioned already several times this this word but maybe now this is the specific section when i would like to open it closer uh, this is about the framework so you mentioned already and actually uh, what I understood that from almost from the very beginning you use it and in terms of this basic standard, good standard, etc. You also do some customizations uh, to, to framework. First of all, why is it important using it or is it important at all? Well, it is, it is very important. As I said before, it has error handling created already there. 
it has a, a state machine where you have initialization, you have your uh, business transactions, you have your process and end, and then you know what to put where. If you want to have be notified whenever process is done, you just put it on end. So it's very, when you learn how to work with it, when you just first time open it, it looks like uh, some huge code and you don't know where to start. But when you learn how to deal with it, then it, it becomes very, very easy to, to, to know what you actually need to do. And as I said, it has uh, counting of your transactions and you can put uh, error handling there and it all works fine. And of course, if then somebody else needs to take it away and to work on it, it can just copy it and will know what to look where. If you let, for example, because in initialization, you have starting all applications. So if I'm building the similar process that you already built, I will take your code and go directly there and change some parameters and I have login to my, uh, my, my tools, etc. So that's why it's very important to use it. Even though if you have only one transaction, I, I several times saw, I have just one transaction, I don't need um, the complete framework, I will delete this uh, business transactions and go straight from initialization to process. No. If you have one transaction, you build it as one transaction. Got it. And do you have in the company one framework or you use several? We use only one. We use only we one. Use on, only one, yeah. Uh, we had uh, one uh, outsource company to work for us and they uh, did a beautiful job. And uh, one of our colleagues, Claudia, she built a framework that's that's awesome I, I will do some other changes but that's the one that we are using as i said this counting of errors so you have uh, three transactions each of them tried three times then code needs to stop uh, it will uh, load the config file from google sheet um, it will uh, put notification on slack because that's very easy to do etc so so we use only one framework and also uh, claudia built in that Framework one very interesting thing in your config file. There is a question: Is this process linear or not? If it's linear, you just put true and it will go straight to processes. If it's not, then it will go and find your business transactions. That's that's awesome. Okay, got it. So just just also to explain because we had a uh, earlier we had a discussion on this. So just better maybe explain for for our listeners. So what means this linear that you would not uh, turn it in iterations, getting transactions again and again, but after in it you go and execute the process once and then end the process. And if there is some minor iteration, you can include it directly inside the process transaction itself. Good. And staying with the framework, I would like to. Uh, still speak a little bit around the standards. So code readability, as I was saying uh, after, uh, as I was saying sometime before, we were speaking that one of the next levels of the code after the my code is working was that someone can read it after one day or one month or one year, etc. And what are the main factors you consider for code readability? And if you can a little bit more dis- describe in detail, what do you do there? So... I, I told you that joke when they asked the developer what broke the code, no comment. <laughs> you need to put comments, you need to put logs. Whenever uh, you don't you don't want to overload your SQL database because uh, I think it's recommended by UiPath to have 3 million rows and it sounds a lot, okay, 3 million, but that's load very, very, very fast. 
So you need to be careful with that. And you also need to name all of your uh, activities. Whenever you drag and drop, you just don't leave click button. You leave click on button of that and that. And that's very important. And next to this code readability, you need to create good SDD document. So whoever takes away code from you, he can read SDD. Uh, okay, this is what you want to do. Because I don't think you can, you should ever question somebody's logic. My logic is different from your logic. Something is logic to me, it's not logic to you. So don't question never somebody's logic. Just try to understand what the person wanted to do. And it's, it's going to be way easier for you to read the code and to fix it if there's any problem. And you also mentioned logs and, and back in the past, you also mentioned Kibana. How these two plays together? How does it work for you? And if you have any standards for those logs, how does it work? So in this moment, we have Kibana and all logs are going to Kibana and then uh, we need to create some dashboard there, etc. So it works very fine. Um, also, in one company, I heard they are using actually Google Sheets for reporting. And that's quite interesting because you can see a live update of uh, whatever's going on there. Because in Kibana, you can put a refresh on every second, every five seconds to take a new new logs. But in Google uh, Sheets, it, it's live. So it's very nice. And here we discuss, I mean, we discuss framework, we discuss reusability, config, maintenance tables, etc. And feels like we are almost done with the code. And there is one last activity, which is always, uh, hopefully always executed, is a code review. Uh, how it is being done in your company, especially remembering the story I told in the very beginning with uh, being a tough guy and having a serious discussion with, with developers. Um, how does the code review look like? So um, we, we have our scripting standards and whoever builds a bot for us needs to be familiar with those scripting standards. For example, you always use simulate click whenever you can. You don't put if in if, you use switch, etc. So those are things that needs to be followed. And yes, it might happen that you were testing something and you leave it there, you forgot about it. That's why you need to have uh, um, checking of the code to see is it okay. Um, and you do it when, when something goes wrong, you write down whatever you think needs, you think it needs to be changed. You send it back to the developer and says, okay, please change this and then explain. And this, this is also how you grow your juniors. You know, if you have some junior developer and he starts building it, you cannot ex expect from him that he's doing everything perfectly. You just then go and explain, okay, this, 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 because of this, this can break, this can break. And that's how you, how you grow. Talking of juniors, do you have some, I don't know, kind of softer standards for them or standards is one for everyone? And this is just the harder life for the very beginning for juniors to, uh, uh, to, to actually follow those standards or you say, okay, this code was built by junior, so this is fine. It will pass my review. But if it is built by John or whoever who is more senior, then it will not pass. How is there a double standard or you use just one and everyone should follow it? No, no, there is no double standard. The, everybody should, you have scripting standards, you need to follow them. And that's very important. That, that That's what we talked about. So uh, even though sometimes somebody is junior and he does not understand that thing, that only means that his code review will be longer and he'll be working longer on the code. But that does not mean that he's a bad developer. It just means that he needs to learn how to do it stuff properly. That's very, very important. 
you can say, well, John, I didn't expect this from you, but uh, that's not the important point. The important point is that uh, those standards are created to have reliable bot in production. That's why they are created. They're not created just to be there. Yeah, so you follow it from the very beginning, regardless what level it is. People, yes. I, I think that you probably just invest more effort on the very beginning to explain everything to to junior, etc. But from the day yes. one, they follow the same standards. That's great. That I think that this is very right thing to follow. And if we go to this, uh, sta- to to. So if we get to seniority levels, I would like to speak a little bit about this. Uh, you mentioned junior developer. There is a developer, etc. First of all. What are levels, technical levels in your company currently? So do you have junior, what else? So you have junior, senior developer, and you have a solution architect. All right. So what's the difference or what's the difference between junior developer and senior developer? Well, junior developer would need more time to build something. Mm -hmm. He's not that familiar with the tool, with the environment, with how to do some things and senior is. So if you take one process, uh, junior would need like two weeks to develop it and senior one week. That's the difference. Um, If you follow scripting standards, so I just need to mention that scripting standards that I wrote are around 70 pages in uh, in a word uh, with with, uh, Arial 12. So a, a lot of things is written there, a lot of pictures, a lot of explanations, uh, a lot of uh, sub-themes. So you need to read it, you need to be familiar with that. And if you have any issue, go through that scripting standards. Maybe I explain how to go over that issue. And that's why Junior will need more, more time. Of course, if you finish UiPath Academy and you have certification, you are, you are, you are on beginning, you're Junior, you, you can work, no problem. I need to mention, because when I was uh, posting this uh, job for my company, I saw from many people, they will send, I'm certified UiPath developer, and then they send that they finished level three academy. In some cases, they will send that they finished level one academy, and that is not certified UiPath developer. Certified UiPath developer is certified on certification.uipath.com, and you have a task, you have three hours to finish it, and then you are certified. That's big difference when you have pressure, when you have time, and then when you need to create a solution in that specific time. With Level 3 Academy, you can work on it like two months. Good, and you mentioned this long document with the standards, uh, like 70 pa- over 70 pages, etc. Um, when was the last time you modified? Yesterday. Yesterday. So it is continuous maintenance of this file and you continuously yeah. update. I like to say that documentation is a living organism. It, it gets updated and changing every day because of your tools. They are changing. So you need to have uh, scripting standards. For example, simulate click. For example, if. For example, how to use uh, workflows, how to slice it. But if it comes to login to... For example, Okta that we spoke about, it got changed. So you need to change it in your standards. And speaking also about the seniority level mentioned before, developer, senior developer, etc. Um, you say that for senior developer, it takes longer. 
Besides the time of execution, do you also separate the tasks, saying that, for example, junior developers are more doing this type of tasks and, and senior developers more that type of tasks, or it is all the same, but just you count that on the very beginning for junior, it will be longer? Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. When when some task is more complicated, you will give it to senior developer and junior developer can learn from it. And also senior developer will, will know when something can work and when it cannot work. For example, we have OCR. Uh, we all know that OCR, I like to give an example with uh, Polly. Uh, that's a parrot name. Um, it's P-O-L-I. But if you do it with OCR, it can be P-0-L-1. So senior developer will know that he cannot rely completely on OCR and won't even consider that that part, while junior would not know and he will try several times until he realized that that's not possible. That's why he will need more time. Yeah. And also when uh, when there's something to be done, uh, junior, uh, junior will need to investigate a bit to try several things to do, how to do it, and senior will already know, okay, I can do it like this, this or that. And when something is complicated, senior already knows, okay, I need first to go there, to go there, then to this, this, and finish this. And that's why you need to also split it between junior and developer. Got it. And you have mentioned also architect. I'm curious how the senior developer becomes an architect or what is the differentiation between those two? So architect can actually uh, guide several other uh, juniors and seniors. So architect will say, okay, I, I have a, a process. It's a huge process. And I cannot do it myself. I can, but I will need like six months. So I would need uh, one junior or two juniors and one senior developer. And then uh, he will say, okay, you, junior number one, you will build logging into this, this, and this component. Junior number two, you will create calculations for this, this, this. Senior, I need you to, to create one huge data table where I will store all of this data and, I don't know, process like this and calculate this. And he will, that senior will also work with, uh, that solution architect will work with senior developer in process building it. And then he can put it all together. That would be solution architect. Got it. And how many how many solution architects uh, do you have in a team? Right now, just me. One. Okay. Yeah. And I was frankly, I was guessing that because usually you don't need many of of solution architects. Usually, it is one exactly. maximum two people. And then you have one solution architect. What is the right ratio to keep between uh, senior and junior developers? Because still senior developers, they are helping to handle junior developers, right? So you cannot have one senior yes. and 20 juniors because then it would be kind of fun to, to maintain it. So um, what is the ratio between senior and junior developers, like if, if, if to follow the best practices? Uh, so on one senior developer, you can have, I would say, two or three juniors. Two or three. Okay. Yeah. And I wouldn't go further. Uh, good. And another thing is, um, and this is one of my favorite questions, uh, I wanted to ask, can, and I think that this is very relevant for our audience, um, can you become a developer without studying it? Can you do become a developer without uh, having it in university and, and, and etc.? I am not speaking about being born as a developer, but what is required to become a developer and can you do it without a high school? Of course, of course you can. You just need to be uh, persistent and to learn and to be open and 
you can do it, no problem. I'm sure of it. Yeah. I'm sure of it, 100%. And if you go to any sport or music, everybody will tell you, like, practice and training. Not If you have talent, oh, that's okay. That's nice. If yeah. you have talent, you, you can speed up a bit. But ta- training, it's everything. For example, you, did you know that Eric Clapton was kicked out from music school? They told him he is not talented and he cannot play guitar ever. And he was kicked out from music school. But Eric Clapton is Eric Clapton. He has so many good albums, so many good music. So yeah, only practice. Also doing the doing boxing in the past and still practicing it uh, time to time occasionally. Um, I realized that the guys who were talented, they also used to skip the trainings just because even if they attend like, I don't know, half of the trainings, they were still good enough. But those who were later getting to the competition level quite often were those hard workers who were every training there, after the training there, and and even if they were not the most talented ones. So what I would highlight here, maybe to inspire some of you, is that probably the hard work and motivation and, and is something what would bring you to the right level as well as as of now i think that comparing to the level uh, to the times when you radomir started there is much more as of now public like educational platforms videos tutorials documentation etc so you can actually google almost any profession hopefully uh, we will not yeah. have doctors like that but many profess uh, man, many professions you can just google and, and learn step by step Yeah, exactly. Well, well, I want to say being stupid is a choice in nowadays. Yeah. It's a choice. So if if you want to learn something, you can have it online. And uh, also, now, one one big advice for all developers. Whoever starts developing, that's what I noticed. He starts a bit of Java, a bit of C Sharp, a bit of C++, a bit of UiPath, a bit of Blue Prism, a a bit of everything, all in all, nothing. Yeah. So if if you if you want to be a developer, then choose like Mortal Kombat says, choose your destiny. Choose what you want to do. If you want to do C sharp, take C sharp, learn C sharp, and do everything in C sharp. If you want to do RPA, choose which provider you want. Blue Prism, AA, IntelliBot, WorkFusion, UiPath, whatever you want. If you want UiPath, okay, learn UiPath, know it inside out. In the near future, I predict five years. UiPath, you will not be able to have only one UiPath developer because everything is going very wide. You would need UiPath developer for processes, UiPath developer for OCR, ICR, UiPath developer for AI, UiPath developer for chatbots, and that, that's inevitable. That's going to happen. Yeah. So if, if you want to be a developer, sit, learn one tool, be persistent, learn whatever you can learn about that tool, and you'll be good. And here we are getting to the point of, if we had to dream a little bit of what would be the development standards 2.0, what would be the things you would, you would also highlight there? As you said already, the roles would be much more segregated. What else would you highlight here? So, yeah, uh, on, on, on development standards 2.0, well, I would say that on a human level, documenting and signing off documents. So, because it might happen uh, that you do something and then customer ask you for change and that's that's never any process. So when they sign off, then you build bot as is as they signed off and later if they need any change, that's a change request and it needs to be changed. And if you start doing it like that, 
then your customers will know, okay, if I don't think about everything right now, I might wait for another two or three months for this to be fixed. So I'm going to think about everything and give them everything what they need. Yeah. On a technical level, uh, as I said, optimize then automate. That's very important. Uh, check, is there any better way to, 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 to connect with some tools, let's say with API, if you can have API call between two ERP systems, no need to go with RPA, take some data and then copy there. It's a waste of time. Uh, developers should talk, should ask questions, BA should ask questions, and uh, should ask for customer, will this process be changed in next 6 to 12 months? If this is going to be changed, then it doesn't make sense to automate right now. Yeah, got it. And getting closer to the end, I would like to discuss with you still two remaining topics. So the first one, what were the often mistakes? And summarizing, we we speak a lot about the best practices. We speak about a lot about uh, what to do, etc. What did you see as often mistakes? And I correlated with this would be what are the myths you saw uh, along this development standards topic, etc. What are the often mistakes? So the, the the most often myth is that uh, bot will do everything and uh, you won't have anybody, any human there. That That's a myth. So you always need a human to be there to control the bot and bots are there to help the humans. Uh, a myth is um, when managers talk about headcount, I hate it. I, I, I said several times, don't do that. Don't talk about headcount. Then people uh, see themselves less valuable treat them as a people that's that's very important uh as a myth i also see that uh, people think that uh, rpa machine learning ai will solve all of their issues it won't you need to solve the issue and then introduce it to rpa ai or ml so that's a myth so uh, people often think if 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 i introduce this to ml it is going to be great it's going to work fast it might not be the case. And to summarize our discussion, I would kindly ask you to shoot quick five do's and don'ts in this area. What would be the five do's you would recommend everyone to consider when building the proper uh, development standards? So, so what you should do, you should always share knowledge. As I said, nobody can take away that knowledge from you. You should uh, make deadlines, not working hours, give space to developers. I know many developers who are most comfortable working at night. They're not morning people. So don't ask people to come at nine o'clock in the morning and just sit there, give them freedom. Use reframework. Change it, build it, but use reframework always. Uh, make sure as much as reusable components to use. So if you can use reusable components, use them as much as possible. And one of the most important, raise awareness of your company. Tell everybody who you are, what you're doing, how you're doing it, so people feel comfortable when they're talking with you. They need to know that you are there to help them, not to get them fired. Good. And what you should not do? to to build the good standards or what should you do to properly screw it up <laughs> so so you should not you should definitely not question somebody else's logic so don't do that ever never hard code values uh, as I said don't hire seat warmers uh, allow, don't allow using invoke code on every occasion so I saw many times 
developers are good with C sharp, they will invoke C sharp code and they just paste everything in C sharp. So in that case, UiPath RPA makes no sense. Don't do that. And don't allow changing of framework whenever somebody wants to do it. If you want to change framework, that needs to be agreed on a team. So don't allow everybody just to change everything there. And I have it. This is my way. Don't do that. I definitely agree with all the points mentioned there besides one. And I would like to have a quick discussion about this one. Questioning of someone's logic. So you, as an architect currently in a company, do you do mistakes? Of course. How how is it spotted? I mean, that it, for me, quite often, like even if it's architect, if it's senior developer, doesn't matter what level, uh, we try, and especially working worldwide, because when when I was starting working just in Europe or one country, then later several countries in Europe, etc., uh, we have quite similar uh, mindset, etc. But when uh, jumping also around the globe and and working with different cultures like this nature of questioning is i think something what is quite sometimes it can slow you down but it is something important for improving so for upgrading your standards upgrading your i don't know best practices etc and best practices are not the best practices those are best practices as of today Tomorrow, someone would question it, change it, upgrade it, and and tomorrow we will have a new, a new, and and again. So, uh, talking of questioning someone else's logic, how do you mean that? Or maybe you just describe it in in, in more detail, because for me, it is a little bit, you know, like different to what we're experiencing. We are pushing our even very junior guys to say, challenge it. You are responsible for this code. You don't, you never say that I did it as it was written because this is very poor excuse. You actually read it. And if you are not sure, you go back and say, Hey, just give me a few more words. But we never, the the, the worst thing I can hear is that I did it just because it was written like that. I don't, you know, that's not my responsibility. Totally agree. So I didn't say not to challenge it. I said, don't question it. For example, somebody is more comfortable with uh, flowcharts. Yeah. Somebody is more comfortable with uh, workflows. Yeah. That's different. Don't question if you like more to work with flowcharts and with switching flowchart. Okay, fine by me. Uh, I said, don't go there and I said, okay, now this is stupid. You should do it like this. No. You should, you should challenge it. Why did you do it like that? And if the guy can give you answer that, that might, might stun you. Might say, okay, yeah, you're right. This is better. Or then you, you can tell him, but I think this is better because of that. No, challenge it. For sure. But if somebody has a logic that he first wants to go and do everything and then create a sanction item and then do it in a linear process, you, you can challenge it, but don't question, okay, I think this should be like this. And the guy will tell you, but I know because I used to work on this process because that and that. So that's what, what I was thinking. I, When starting one of the projects, I remember a manager from the client side and still we are working together mentioned one cool thing I remembered and I use even nowadays was that if you have three strong arguments of why to do something, you can do it and you don't need my approval, but later you need to be able to explain why you did it and bring these three arguments in. So I think that this was this was something what fits quite well to the description you provided. Sir, yeah. I think that our episode is coming to the end and it was amazing. It was long. It was a little bit also kind of exhausting. And I really appreciate your effort putting in and sharing all those knowledge because I think that it will bring a lot of value to our community. So 
Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate this discussion. You're welcome. And it was very nice that I joined this, uh, your initiative. This is great. I think it will be great. Radomir, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. And we're done for today. I hope you find something useful in this episode. There are three things you should remember. First, subscribe. Second, visit our web automationimpact.io. There you can find more episodes and articles related to the episodes. And the third one, share it. Maybe someone else finds it useful too. Stay safe.